Someone You Should Know, a program about people you know and even more that you don't. Hosted by Stuart Sachs, veteran, husband, father, and grandfather. Now, here's your host, Stuart Sachs. Well, it's Wednesday morning. It's 10 o'clock, and that means it's another episode of Someone You Should Know. Welcome. Glad to have you with us again. We're going to have some fun this morning. Um, and we are brought to you today by our good friend Irving Chung, who is a franchise specialist. And um, you've heard me say this before. If even if there is the slightest thought in your head about what is franchising all about, Irving is more than willing at any time just to discuss what franchising is all about and just to give you the facts and figures and let you know if there's ever an opportunity that you want to get involved full-time, part-time, whatever you want to partner with somebody. He's got all the answers. Reach out to Irving Chung. He is an expert at franchise information. Well, today is going to be kind of a throwback day uh, because uh, uh, I went to a reunion uh, a year ago um, in, and uh, just to set it up, it was called the Last Look Reunion. And I met up with this old guy who was my roommate in college. We were best buddies in high school, even in the same band together. And this was a photo we took from a year ago at what was called the Last Look Reunion. And it was called the Last Look because they were in the process of demolishing the high school that we attended back in Hammond, Indiana. And Mike and I have been, been best buddies ever since we were kids. Uh, in the old days, and also fast forward a year, and live right here on Someone You Should Know is my good buddy, Mike Miller. <laughs> Thank you, Stuart. It's great to be here. I appreciate it very much. Really there, there he is. And we're going to talk a little bit about the drum set that's sitting behind him, too, because that's <laughs> that's part of our, that's part, very much a part of our history. And yeah. also, welcome, Mike. Good to have you. Good to be had. Thank you. <laughs> you know, when 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 I was prepping for the show, and we decided that we would just have a show and kind of reflect on on the past uh, together, I realized it has been a lot of years. Um, ever since ever since we were kids, playing at each other's houses sometimes and doing sleepovers back in Northwest Indiana. And, and and it was a, that was a long time ago. Well, and, and and not to divulge either of our ages, Stuart, but uh, when you think about it, um, it has been more than sixty years since you and I picked up our instruments, our respective instruments, and started with that eight-piece group that we called the Kingsmen. Uh, yeah. That's sixty years ago, and I recall. 10 years ago, I think calling you up, maybe, and even Jim Harrison at the time, how, uh, Huey and, and Bennett, who were two other guys in the band, and asking if we wanted to go out on our 50th anniversary tour, uh, <laughs> since we had just, we had just yes. celebrated that milestone. And uh, when everyone started, stopped laughing, I think the phones just hung up. Uh, but but uh, and, it, and, it's, been a, it's been a great run. It really has been. So, a lot of fun. And, but, and people and should know that our parents were very friendly with each other as well. So it's not just yes. this generation. This goes back to our parents uh, who uh, were very good friends while you and I were 
close to being in diapers. Well, we grew we course, grew up in a community. Go back to diapers, but that's another. Yeah, well, we grew up in a community that was really mama papa uh, stores. Uh, and yeah. all your dad was in business, my dad was in business, uh, and right. and just about everybody that we grew up with, uh, we came from family owned and operated businesses, and all. So that's how we all kind of interacted and 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 grew up. And and you're right, uh, we 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 played around as kids uh, at each other's houses. And then as we got into high school, uh, I mean, I still have some of the greatest memories of, of the band. And folks, we, we should set this up that we, we there, that's our record. Uh, and, and by the way, it is still available. I saw, <laughs> I saw it. it online. Matter of fact, I did see it online. Yeah. Uh, and the reason and, I'm and, showing side is because you were really the star of the b-side of good night sweetheart the a-side was um uh, humpty dumpty which i didn't remember until i pulled out the record that it's giving credit to harris for writing this song yes i didn't know i didn't remember that well it wasn't that 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 we gave credit to harris i think he took it he well you know what it was the producer of the of the record uh, in Chicago, apparently had done the discussions with Jimmy uh, in right. setting up the studio time and everything else. And I think he just said, well, heck, I'm just going to put Jim Harris's name underneath the title. And uh, uh, actually, after all these years, I'm kind of glad he did, because I've heard this song recently. And I'm glad he was the one taking the blame for it, not me <laughs> or anybody else. And and the story, I, I, I'm not really sure I remember where the name the, for the, the band, the Kingsman, came from. Uh, who, who? It, actually, it actually came from Humpty Dumpty. Because it was all, 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 all the Kingsmen. Right. Okay. Um, so we called ourselves the Kingsmen. And before we Louis Louis. A year before Louis Louis, by the way. Right, right. And so, yeah, when Louis Louis came out, all of a sudden uh, we started getting more popular uh, and, and we realized uh, that the whole world thought that we were the group that did Louis Louis. And so we had to learn the song real quickly so, so that we could add it to our to our playlist uh, until uh, I think you or Jimmy or somebody might have gotten a cease and desist letter. <laughs> Saying you're infringing on our on our uh, <laughs> you know on our our credit, so yeah. so at that at that point that was about the time that that well there were what three or three or four of us in the band were graduating and going on right. from high school to college. So right. you continued with the other members. You renamed the and 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 you you became the reflections, right? We did, uh, and then we had the same problem with Reflections as we did with the Kingsman, because just like Romeo and Juliet came out uh, by the Reflections, and so there we, there we were again. So luckily, by the time that became popular, I think that was about the time that uh, the last of us had graduated from high school, because Ted Abel uh, was in my class, uh, and Larry Allen was in my class. Kenny Baker, who is another guitar player, was behind us by a year. And not one person watching the show gives one hoot or a holler about what I'm talking about right now. But nevertheless, <laughs> it was a great run. We had a great time. We had a great yeah. Time. Everybody says, oh, yeah, I remember Louie Louie. And I and I also remember Romeo and Juliet. 
by the by the right. reflections. That's about the end of our company. That's about it. <laughs> but those those were so those were some good days, and then and then we we connected uh, down at Indiana University. Uh, spend a little time there, and then you you left Indiana, and you went to probably the premier broadcasting school in the in the country uh, at that time was was the Columbia was it called, called Columbia College at yes. that time was it or was yeah. it a Columbia School of Broadcasting? No, 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 that was a different company. Columbia School of Broadcasting was really just a private. If it would have been done today, it would. And online, okay, uh, but uh, it was just basically um, a broadcast school. Columbia College was a liberal arts school, uh, and for instance, Ronnie Rice of the New Colony Six went to Columbia College. Uh, Pat Sajak uh, went to Columbia College. He was there when I was there, as a matter of fact. Um, so it was broader than just broadcasting. It was really a liberal arts college. Uh, there were actors that were there. Some of them going out of Second City, and a couple of other. Right, a great venue, uh, but it had uh, it had a great reputation. Still does. I stay in touch with the college uh, by getting their information newsletters and things like that. It's cool. And and then they, as they say, it just kind of launched launched the career. Uh, and and both of us, both of us actually wanted to pursue broadcasting right out of college. Uh, unfortunately, right. I went into the I went into the army. And uh, when I got out of the service, and all I wanted to go back into broadcasting, but I got I got sidelined in in the family retail business and all. But right. you your career was launched in broadcasting, and you you spent almost your entire career in broadcasting. Yeah, thirty two years, uh, thirty two years. Uh, uh, and and to be honest with folks, and I'm not just stroking him here, but. Uh, uh, I was very fortunate because I'd started in Gary, Indiana, as you remember. Uh, but then there was a job opening in Orlando, Florida, and you happened to already be in Orlando working at Disney World. Uh, so when I came down for the interview, they called me up and said, yeah, come on down. We want to talk to you. Uh, you and I stayed together while I was in I was in town for the interview for that, for that job. I didn't right. get that job because the job at that point, and that was with WDBO, uh, the job was for a production director, and I just wanted to get my foot in somewhere besides Gary, Indiana. So uh, that's why I applied for it. But when I didn't get that job, I remember uh, it wasn't more than a week after I'd returned back to Munster, and uh, I got a phone call from the general manager who said, listen, we have an opening for a talk show host at night. Do you know anybody who does talk? Uh, and I said, yes, uh, and I'll have them send you something <laughs> exactly uh, right away. And of course, I, I took the best air check I could of my show in Gary and sent it to him. And he said, why didn't you tell us that you did talk radio? I said, because nobody asked uh, <laughs> Yeah, job to, to produce commercials. That's what I went down there for. Uh, so anyhow, as they say, the, the rest was history. But I got that job. And uh, you didn't stay at Disney in Orlando very long, though, did you? I was there for two and a half years. Uh, really? really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, it was like a, 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 a year or so when the park was under uh, final construction before okay. it ever opened. So that was in 1970. And then it How opened in October. How did you get I was with the entertainment division. And yeah. at, that, 
at the at, at that time, that's when they were uh, uh, interviewing, auditioning the talent that was going to be uh, entertaining throughout the entire Magic Kingdom. Right. Um, you know, from the from the uh, uh, barbershop quartet, right? The what? I, I was just repeating what you just said. The barbershop quartet, which was very famous. yeah. Yeah, the barbershop quartet on Main Street to the the uh, uh, entertainment at the Top of the World nightclub uh, at the Contemporary right. Hotel, and th- so that that all went through our office. Uh, in addition to that, I was really very very fortunate that uh, uh, Jack Wagner, who was the voice of Disneyland, came out to uh, Florida to help with with getting some of the uh, uh, announcements. Uh, pre-recorded and everything to use in the park as well as some live stuff. But then Jack had to go back to Disneyland and I mentored under him and I ended up becoming the park announcer at Disney World for that that year, year and a half that I was was there until everything started to be produced in California. But I really thoroughly enjoyed all of that time, all of that time at, at, at Disney World. It was it was amazing. You were there at a great time. We both were there at a great time. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. In I, fact, I, we we actually both moved into the same apartment complex, uh, Camelot. 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 Yes. See, we both we both lived in Camelot. Camelot. <laughs> we had this big round table, and we come in there with our spears and our swords, and it was kind yes. of fun. <laughs> and and I lived upstairs from you. You know, we, right. were, we were the, we were the same stairwell, but you were downstairs, I was upstairs, and I've often told the story, and I'm going to tell it again because it's 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 a, a great great story. You were working in the evening, and you would get off late in the evening and come home, and right. you had a dog at the time, and as soon as you would get home from work, you would let the dog out into the common area of the apartment complex, and. I've often told the story that late at night, because I could hear you outside my my window from my apartment upstairs, you would be out in the common area at one o'clock or so in the morning with your dog. And then Mike would come out there with his deep baritone voice and he would say, come fluffy, fluffy, <laughs> come. <laughs> and in the dead of night, you would hear this magnificent voice out in the common area calling for fluffy <laughs> it was a big english sheepdog wasn't it yes it was yes it was <laughs> great dog great dog but you know i mean for if you're a broadcaster you have a tendency that you are always on you're always on so no matter whether you're ordering something at at the uh the, at the grocery store or whatever have that ring Radio voice they go into. <laughs> it was good. Oh, it gosh. was good. It was a great thirty years. A great thirty years. Thirty plus years. And all that worked in. And then so parties. you, yeah, and you were working with WDBO, and you uh, uh, said to me, "Hey, listen, you know, I want to think looking for some part timers at the station, and you you got me a part time job at WDBO, and I was there." On Sunday morning, running running the the uh, the board, uh, r- running the commercials and the religious programs, <laughs> and I had like a three hour shift. 
but it, it was yep. a few extra bucks in the pocket. That's right. And it kept you in the game. So that was cool. It was really cool. Yeah, those were <laughs> those were great years. Those five years I spent in Orlando, I, I really, really enjoyed. In fact, I was just back there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, went to a restaurant that I haven't been to since 1977. And that was just as good today as it was when I remember going there back in those days. Which right. one was that? Um, it was called, uh, it was a steak restaurant. Uh, and it was the Columbia House. Pardon me? Was it the Columbia what? House? No, 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 no. Uh, actually, I, the Columbia, I was at that Friday night in, in St. Augustine. Um, no, what the, what the heck was it? Um, oh, shucks. I can't remember. It was on Colonial Drive, a big steakhouse. Uh, owned by the same family that's owned it since the 1960s. Um, wow. i got to remember the name. It'll come back. They always do. La Cantina. La Con Linda's La Cantina. Just came oh. And it wasn't, it wasn't okay. necessarily an Italian or a Mexican restaurant. It was a steak restaurant, and it was phenomenal. In fact, I think I put a photo of the steak on my Facebook page. Oh. If anybody cares. Mike Miller, Jacksonville, Florida. You can find me on Facebook. <laughs> but so you you uh, left in the in the early in the was the early or mid 70s you left uh the orlando market and is that when you you went north i went, yeah, went to hartford connecticut okay there was a headhunter who was vacationing in coco beach uh his name was mike joseph and I remember him calling me up and he said, you don't know who I am and I really don't know who you are, but I've got something I want to ask you about. And there was an opening uh, for a nighttime talk host at WTIC in Hartford. Uh, and um, I, I wasn't anxious to leave Orlando at all, but I was at a point in my life where I really wanted to start grabbing for the, for the brass ring trying to get to higher markets, better markets all the time. I mean, this was going to be my career. So I ended up going there um, and spent three years in Hartford. Then I went to Detroit at WXYZ, ABC, uh, was there. Then I went to Boston. Uh, then I went to Miami and I haven't left Florida. And that's where we are. Yeah, you, Jacksonville was my last day. That I mean, that's what life in broadcasting really was all about back in the '60s and the '70s and the '80s and all. Was you if you were not willing to to jump from market to market, you probably weren't suited for broadcasting because that that's when a lot of stations became uh, groups, and very often they would want to take their employees and move them from from market to market, and. Uh, and you, you had to be willing to do that. Well, I, except there were always franchise broadcasters who, who you just knew never would leave. Um, and normally they were the morning people. Um, I mean, J.P. McCarthy in Detroit was one. Dick Curtin in Detroit was another guy that I remember. Larry Lujak, of course, in Chicago. I mean, these were guys that, that were really franchise players, if you will, if I can draw a sports analogy because uh, there was just nothing that they would take to leave and there was nothing that their stations wouldn't match or exceed in order to make sure they didn't leave. So you you had those people back in those days. And remember again, you know, uh, back in the 70s uh, where we're talking about here, uh, there weren't even that many FM radio stations that were doing anything other 
beautiful music. Um, so it was still the years of, of the of the AM stations. When I went to Miami, uh, there were three AM talk stations broadcasting simultaneously in that market. And that was probably the most competitive arena that I ever worked in was Miami because of that. Uh, both of the other stations had franchise broadcasters that were there uh, and had been there for, for eons, if you will. And, and I came into town and I, I mean, they, they gave me an initiation, especially the writers in, in the Miami Herald of uh, who is this carpetbagger coming down here from, from up north and who is he? Da 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 da. Uh, luckily, I was able to to do fine enough in in Miami to stay there until they syndicated my show uh, and gave it to somebody else. But um, then I went to West Palm and then I came up here to Jacksonville because my wife at the time didn't want to leave Florida. Uh, but I was ready to go back out in the field and look and see what was out there. But uh, we decided we wanted to stay in Florida. By that time, my parents were snowbirds down here and. My ex's in-law, my ex's pa parents, my in-laws lived in St. Pete Beach, so we weren't going to leave. We just weren't going to leave. And that's why when I left broadcasting here in Jacksonville, uh, I actually went into government work at that time for 20 years. And, and, and uh, you know, for those that have been following my show for, for uh, the last so many months, uh, there's another great broadcaster that I've had uh, on, on my show a couple of times, uh, Kid Curry who was from the Miami market and worked uh, at Y100 and also Power 96 and yep. was was really a great force in the Miami market uh, and all and is now in, in Colorado. We've had a couple of conversations. There is something about broadcasting that when it is in, in your blood once, it always remains there. And whether you stay in it full-time or you dabble in it part-time or you you become a guest on it, uh, you know, uh, further into your your own life and future, and all there's just something about it that 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 stays with you. Uh, I know that a lot of connections that you uh, made in Jacksonville in the government market was as a result of of your interactions with some of those people in in broadcasting. Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, when I left broadcasting, uh, I, I got a phone call from the mayor's office. Who, uh, and this, again, is now in the year 2000. Um, and he and I had known each other quite a bit because I would have him on regularly. In fact, in fact uh, something that I borrowed from what I was doing in Hartford. In Hartford, I was doing a show called Ask the Governor. And the governor at the time, Ella Grasso, God rest her soul, uh, was mm -hmm. my guest, and we became just great, great friends. So when it came to to Jacksonville, uh, I started a program class the mayor, and the mayor was on once a month, and he would bring you know people from his administration and so on to answer questions from the audience. Uh, but as soon as I left broadcasting, he called and said, "What are you going to do now?" And I said, "Well, I'm really not sure." And he said, "Come and have lunch." So uh, we got together, and he said, "I I need somebody who." He said, I really need somebody who knows the city council. Um, and Jacksonville has a, has a consolidated government, and we have 19 city council members, which is pretty big for a, a city our size. Yeah. And uh, since I had known the city council members all through my work on the air, uh, he said, you would be perfect because they know you already. So I took that job and stayed with him until he left office from term limits in 2003. 
and then went to work for a state transportation agency uh, for the remainder of my years before I retired in 2019. There you have it. Yep. And that's that's the world as we see it. And that's the way it is, as Walter would say. That's the way it is. That's the way it was anyhow. You know, it's funny. In, in thinking about the show, Stuart, and, and for the audience, uh, Stuart and I have talked about this for a while. And he said, one of the things I want to do is just talk about how radio has changed over the years. And there was one thing that I thought about the other day in thinking about the show that I miss. And I think a lot of people of our genre miss as well. And that's the personal relationship between the people on the air and the audience. And today, of course, so much of it is syndicated. You don't even know where these people are. I mean, I watch, I listen to Sirius XM all the time and these guys are everywhere. You know, they're everywhere and, and that's technology right, right. today. They can be anywhere. But I mean, I remember the time, Stuart, as well you, when a favorite disc jockey was one who would take your requests on the phone and do dedications on the air. Uh, and like this is going out to Susie and Susie, uh, Frank wants you to know they had a great time last week when you guys went out on a date. And, bah, 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 bah. and I mean, that that develops such a personal relationship between the audience and the jock, the disc jockey. And you just don't have that anymore. They can't do that because they're all multi market stations. Uh, and unless you were I mean. The last person you're going to hear doing that is Casey Kasem, um, rest his soul, uh, when he would say this is a dedication going out to so-and-so. That's what made Casey as as well-liked as he was and respected by his audience. Forget the top 40 that he would do every Saturday, you know, counting down the top 40. Uh, but it was who the dedications were going for and guys that were in the armed forces overseas and somebody wanted to send him a hello. I mean, you just don't get that anymore, and it's really a shame. The closest thing to that, though, probably is sports talk radio more than it is the kind of radio that you and I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for for the for the uh, you know the armchair uh, quarterbacks uh, and everything to right. call in and discuss discuss last week's game and what they what they think is going to happen this week. But you're right, and those were also thinking back into our days uh, on on the radio. Again, the studios were usually in the downtown areas of, of the, the cities where you were broadcasting from, and they usually had a big picture window in the, in the front of the, of the station. And so the, the, the DJ or the talk show host or whoever was there, people would walk by the street and they would stop and they'd be waving in the window. And, and I mean, this goes back even to WGN on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, where right. you used to see the on-air personalities while they were on air and they'd have yep. a, the speaker outside. So you could hear it. I remember that when, you know, my, my first real gig was at WTHI in Terre Haute, Indiana of all places. And I, I did a show from eight until midnight <laughs> and it was an FM show, and you, you know, the that you play was like Montavani and Percy Faith and the orchestra. You know, you did that the, old, the old, yeah, the the old thirty three, uh, and you'd have to you'd have to cue it up and get it ready and start the turntable and put your finger on the turntable and wait and introduce it and then let the let the the turntable go and 
most of the time it worked, and sometimes you'd get that that screechy squeak, uh, uh, squeaking on the on the thing. But I used to turn my monitor around because I didn't want the people that were walking down the street to to see me. I I had a good deep voice, but I was just this little nebbish of a kid that was sitting behind the microphone. And every once in a while, the phone would ring and somebody would call because they wanted to hear something by, you know, in the, in my day, the, the, I almost every night, somebody would call and say, would you please play Paul Murray? love is blue. (laughs) I probably play that every, every night that I was, I was on, but they wanted to dedicate it to, to somebody, you know, and it was a love song, but here's this little guy behind the microphone who's introducing it and, could, you know, they would call up on the phone. Uh, what time do you get off uh, uh, the the air? Can I meet you in the parking lot? And <laughs> you know, you tried to avoid that at at all costs because you know they thought I was Julio Iglesias in their mind, but I was just this little you know five foot chunky kid that was uh, uh, broadcasting for his first. But that was the fun part of radio was people didn't see you necessarily. Unless you were in that picture window on the street, right. <laughs> but you know that's that was the fun part of radio. Today, radio is a visual medium, too, just like we're doing right now. We're mm-hmm. you know we're basically doing like a radio talk show, but the visual aspect is there, and that's yeah. thanks to YouTube and uh, and Facebook and and, well, and everything. Yeah, you else. know, you know who really started that uh, was Rush Limbaugh. Uh, yeah. Rush and the Golden Microphone. Uh, Rush had a, a tremendous studio that he had built in his home in Palm Beach, uh, and and I mean he was with the remember the EIB Network, Excellence in Broadcasting Network, as he named it. Uh, right. But he would always say this Golden Microphone goes everywhere, and he did his show most of the time from Palm Beach, and uh, that's that's where he ended up staying full time, but he always had a camera on and uh, did his show that way. But he was one of the real pioneers of video radio talk. Um, yeah, well, uh, uh, Howard Stern, too. Uh, Stern, you know, that's right. Uh, that's true. Stern did that, too. That's true. Was, was a, le- a leader in that, too. And people started, you know, and, and at that time, that's when when you you got to see the voice that was behind that microphone. Right. Uh, Larry Lujak was was the same way. Uh, uh, I, I didn't recall I, I, Larry I, having a camera in his, in his. No, not Larry Lujak. Um, uh, who am I? Th- Don Imus. Don Imus. Oh, Don Imus. You know, yeah. Uh, who also was a visual visual broadcaster right up until the the end of his career. Right. Right. But those Fun. those were those were <laughs> those were the days, you know. Uh, I, I wrote to you just recently because I found a new a new Facebook page. There was a oh, really? new face. Yeah, there's a new Facebook page out there called I Was a DJ when DJs actually oh, yeah. spun discs. Yeah. And, yep. and if you have a chance, go go to it. Uh, just type in I was a DJ when. And okay. it's a Facebook page, and they encourage people from our era uh, who were actually DJs that spun records and all to share some of that, those memories and information and all. And it's, it's a lot of fun and it's kind of a trip down memory lane because they bring up a lot of the old, the old names, uh, you know, that, that we remember as kids. And now 
when you were at, at Indiana University with, with me, were you, weren't you on the student radio network? Uh, student radio network also. They uh, we broadcast out of the quad, if you remember. The, yeah. The Foster Quadrangle. Uh, yeah, and it was WIN is the call letters and that uh, that we used on that, and that was carrier current. That was not over the air. That was carrier current, which meant it went over the phone lines, and you could right. only get it in those four dorms. That was the only place you get. But that's that's what that's what got me into radio. I mean, and it was from a former classmate from Hammond High who said who was working it and called me up and said, hey, listen, we've got this opening. And uh, I was I was already, quote, doing entertainment because I was in a band called The Citations with Jimmy Harris uh, on the IU campus. So um, I ended up taking on shifts on this, even though I was like you, a Sammy. Uh, but our frat house was not that far away from the quad, so I would walk over and, um, as as right, my was, parents, it was say, down a hill. Yeah, you spent too many times, uh, too much time on the air and not enough in the classroom, and that's why you left IU. Uh, <laughs> actually, the answer was, and I told him this. I said, no, it's because I, if I had, if I could have taken broadcasting at IU or mass communications, which I ended up graduating in or majoring in. Uh, I would have had to take two years of math, and I didn't want to take any math because I stunk at it. And I knew it, so that's why I transferred to Columbia, and that's because I didn't have any prerequisites before I could jump right into doing mass communications. And and one of my fondest memories was that I was stuck on campus during the winter storm of 1967. So was I. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, we could not get out of Bloomington in order to get home. And also, we we spent uh, almost all of our time at the radio station because the radio station was was up and going on. We were giving we were giving weather updates as well as spinning spinning records. Well, I and I was at IU, too, but I was at the Gary campus. Uh, I had already left Bloomington and and was going to school for another semester at the at the Gary campus, but WLTH, my radio station where I was working at the time part time, uh, was down the street from the campus. So during the storm, I just right. walked over there and, and went on the air uh, because they needed bodies in there uh, in order to try to keep everybody informed of what was going on. Uh, it was exciting, it was exciting. But I was there. And for there's there's a lot of people that are watching and listening to this show right now that have absolutely no clue as to what we're talking about. But we used to, they used to try to keep us in the, in the station as long as possible, just for the news updates. And the news used to come over the ticker tape on, uh, from UPI or, or the Associated Press. And you'd, you'd run into the, into the, to the newsroom and you'd rip the information off of the, uh, off of the machine and run back in. We have an update on the, uh, on the storm, uh, in, in, uh, uh, wherever it was and, uh, please stay off of the road and, and, and this road is closed. And I mean, that's the, that's the way we disseminated news, uh, in those days to people to try and keep them off the road. And, um, I can't recall the year. It might have been 86. But when Florida was hit with Hurricane Andrew, I think it was 86. That, I was, was, uh, on, that was in 92. 92. Thank you. I was broadcasting at that time at WJNO in West Palm Beach. And Channel 5 was across the street from us. We were right on Flagler Drive, right off the intercoastal. And the TV station that, that we had a relationship was right across 
across the street from us. So during the storm, and I was stuck there at, for the storm uh, on the air, but when I went off the air to bring somebody else in, then I had to go over to TV and get in front of the camera and do the same thing that I was doing on radio. And we did that for three days before we could finally get home. It was it was a remarkable time. Yeah. But I mean, those those were the days when there were actual people, you know, the, the what, what we knew as electronics was was minimal. Everything yeah. that happened happened because there was a human being making it happen. Uh, yeah. from throwing the switches to to changing the uh, uh, to, to to change in the uh, the tubes if necessary to keep things going. And usually you had a, a tower that was broadcasting and that was a remote location and there was an engineer that was either stuck there or was there to try and make sure that the the, the broadcast signal kept going out. But yeah. everything everything is so digitized today. All right, so I, I just I want I want to throw back a little bit because I keep looking at the drum set behind you, and going going back as I say into the '60s and and our band, the Kingsmen. Uh, uh, Christine, I, I think has a photo that we have we have shared uh, for years and years uh, of what what the times were like back in the '60s when we had our band together. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some photos of the Kingsman. Uh, unfortunately, Mike, you you don't you can't see Mike uh, in in those photos because Mike was playing drums, and he was usually in 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 the background. But those were the duop days where you had a lead singer and you had uh, the background singers. The picture <laughs> in the upper right hand corner that that nerd sitting there in 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 the front. In the lower right hand corner, that's me. I was yep. I was playing keyboards uh, in this in this band, and we were yep. we were we were we and were singing, pretty and singing, bass. and singing bass too. You were singing. You were the bass singer. Yep, so I was I was a bass, bass singer and then play play the keyboards, and then you'd yep. have a lead singer, and then three three part harmony behind them, uh, of which we we all did, yep. but but those. <laughs> Those were the days. To, that that photo goes back what sixty some years. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm looking at it now, and since none of you had graduated, you graduated in '63, right? I graduated in '63 with Huey and with uh, with Bennett and, and Howard. And Howard, what? No, Howard was a year before us. He was he was the first one. He graduated in '62, and he went on to Indiana, and we all continued, and then Jimmy was a year behind us and you were two years behind, right? Right. So that had to, if he graduated in 62, so that means that this photo was either taken in 61 or 62. Yep. Right before he graduated. Now people have got to realize something. You're taking a look at these photos. You're talking, you're looking at kids who are 13, 14 and 15 years old. That was it. And we yep. played a lot. I mean, we played not every weekend, but we played an awful lot. Uh, well, and then when we weren't playing, we were rehearsing. We well, would get yeah, together in my basement. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and we and we decided we decided to do it in your basement because you didn't want to have to pack up your drums and and carry That's them around exactly from right. place to place. Exactly <laughs> right. I mean, you guys had everything you needed, and you know, and I, I was the one that had to carry the drums. 
but but here's something I don't know if you remember, Stuart, but our first paid gig was at Wilbur Wright Junior High School. It was a I remember. Do you remember what we did after we got done with the show? Yeah, there there were what eight of us in the group, and I think we got we played for two and a half hours or or so, or, uh, two or three sets, and they paid us twenty bucks. Forty. And, for, was it forty? Yeah, oh, we that just was, didn't tell you about the other twenty. Oh, that that was the that was the, <laughs> we were in the big time by then. Yeah, we got forty bucks for all of us, and then yeah. we went out and we Five blew it on pizza. That's right. We went to Candy's. We went to Candiano's Pizza, Candy's Pizza, and the reason we went there is because it was the only place where our record, which was in which, their was in their jukebox. Yes, and actually, people and, played it yes. and laughed. And 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 for those that are listening and watching, if you'd like a copy of our record and everything, we I think we're down to the last what nine eight, eight or nine thousand. I, I, this is the only one I've got and it's cracked. So I, I'd like to get another one myself, but I did see them online, but I think they cost like, I don't know, $80 or something like that. Some idiots trying to sell it. I don't know. <laughs> but, and, and then, and then Mike alluded to the, to the B side of, of the Humpty Dumpty was supposed to be our A side uh, right. record. The side was good night, sweetheart. I will never be able to live it down, but we were in this recording session and we did Humpty Dumpty. And I think we were given like an hour uh, to record and we took up about yeah. 40 minutes or so to do Humpty Dumpty. So by the time we recorded the B side, a uh, good night, sweetheart, we were, we were under the gun to get it done. Yeah. One take. And we did we one take. And during the, the little instrumental interlude in the middle of the song, I hit a wrong note. And I never have to this day lived down lived that down. That because that wrong note was recorded, pressed, and sold as is. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you, if anybody listened to it, it stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, because it was this chord that he hits. When, and there's no there's no other music behind it, just him hitting this chord, and it's the wrong chord for the song. But that's all right. We just kept going. Kept and, going. And, and as soon as I hit it, I knew it was wrong, and I thought, okay, well, when we do a second take, I, I won't do it. We have no, no time. time to do a second take. No that's, it. that's it. You guys are finished. Done. <laughs> so, that's, all we, that's all we could afford to pay for. We had to pay for our own studio time. That's why. <laughs> you know. no. Oh boy! Oh, so so you, you, I I guess I guess we should dash any ideas of of putting the band back together and going on the road. You know, you know. By the way, one of my fondest and most embarrassing moments on radio was also hitting a wrong chord, uh, and it was interviewing Jimmy Carter. Uh, it was in it was that was in, in Gary, 70, wasn't it? No, this was in this was Orlando. Oh, first oh time okay. I, the first time I interviewed him was in was in Orlando. I also interviewed him in 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 Hartford and interviewed him in Detroit. But the first time was in Orlando, and it was right before the New Hampshire primary. And I won't forget it because I mean he comes in uh, and he was going to kick off my show at eight o'clock, and he got there he got there around seven thirty. 
and said, is there somewhere we can go and talk? I'd like to get to know you a little bit. So we went to a private room with just him and his handlers and me, and we got to talk for about 15 minutes, and then we went on the air, and they, I wouldn't let the media in the studio where we were, but we had this big window between the studio and the lobby in Orlando. I don't know if you remember that story, but yep. um, but uh, there is the national media, because we had the Democratic candidate for president of the United States in studio with this jerk from Orlando, Florida. And I mean, they're all lined up. They've got their network cameras on and I'm nervous as hell. And, you know, the theme comes up and now here's here's Mike Miller. And thank you all very much. Delighted and honored today uh, to have as my special guest in studio for the next hour, the great governor of Georgia, Governor Jimmy Walker. <laughs> and I hear this little voice in the background say, that's Carter. Hello. Excuse me. He said, that's Carter, Jimmy Carter. And I said, and I said, well, what did I say? He said, you said Jimmy Walker. Jimmy Walker, who was who was the the actor on uh, Dynamite. on Dynamite. <laughs> Dynamite. Dynamite. So anyhow, that was my wrong chord and the most embarrassing act that ever happened to me on radio in over 30 years. And you know what? When I saw him again in Detroit, he remembered it. He remembered it. And I was shocked that he had remembered it, but he did. Yeah. Because I met him and it was like, you know, Mr. President, it's great to see you again. And Mrs. Carter, it's great to see you too. And he said, just remember my name this time, Mike, would you? And I said, yes, sir. I'll be <laughs> Only make that mistake once. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. That was well, great, man. Mike, as always, it's great to reminisce. And every time we're together, whether it's on the phone or in person or whatever, it's great to just look back and, and see the good old days. Because if, if we didn't have the good old days, we wouldn't be who we are today. One one final question for you, Stuart, because I yeah. forgot. Uh -oh. Did you play Chip or Dale at Disney in I character? Chip. You were Chip. Folks, I, I, try to picture Stuart Sachs in the chip chipmunk. You were in yep. that thing for hours, weren't you? Oh yeah, yeah. That was something that middle middle and upper management. Every every person that worked at Disney was required to spend one day in a character costume so that they would know what it was all about and what it was like. And I got to tell you, it ain't it ain't easy. And if they known Stuart even more than they did, they would have said, you're enough of a character yourself. You don't have to dress up. Just That's go out right. and greet people. And I've been pretty much a chipmunk the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Stuart, great to see you. Great to see you. Say hello to the great other opposite for me. I, I I will do so. <laughs> and thanks to all of you for, for spending some time on Someone You Should Know with my good friend, Mike Miller. And I hope you'll be here again next week. Uh, don't know I'm going to be here yet, but I will be. So <laughs> go out and make, make it a good day and be good to yourself. And again, Mike Miller, thank you very, very much, my dear friend. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on.